1: Hello, and welcome to the seventh episode of the Preps Pro NBA Draft Podcast. My name is Ben Pfeiffer, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Max Carlin. Max, how's it going? I'm all right, Ben. How are you? I'm okay. Um, making it through these strange times. So in order to lighten the mood, have some fun today, we decided to do a mailbag episode. So we asked for your questions on Twitter, and we have a collection of 15 or so questions that we're going to run through and answer some of your questions. So... Are we good to get
0: started? Yeah. Um, let's start with one from our friend Francis at Bin Thrifty. Um, how many draftable bigs would you peg as a shooter you wouldn't want to leave open?
1: Before we go any further, the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast is sponsored by Simply Safe. With home security, there's two ways you can go about protecting your home there's the traditional way, where you wait weeks for a technician to do a messy installation that costs a small fortune, or there's the other way, Simply Safe. Simply Safe is everything you need in a home security system. It's award winning production. Two time winner of CNET Editors Choice Awards. Um, all right, so just go with all right, so I went with five. And okay. My guys are
0: Jalen Smith, Killian Tilly, Obi Toppin, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, and uh Pukusheski. Okay. I forgot Jalen Smith, but he would also be on my list. Um so I've got Smith, Toppin, and Zeke Naji, and Killian Tilly for like true combo big at the very least types and then i think if you want to include um guys who are maybe more forwardy which i think these two are i have robinson earl and pokashevsky and then for true bigs that i thought was borderline i have caleb wesson and onyeka okongwu
1: yeah those two are borderline um i went with more sure bets i didn't think about naji naji's probably a good one
0: yeah i think naji going to be a pretty good shooter um i think you probably won't want to be leaving him open i think the guys that are like absolute mortal locks are Toppin and tilly and smith um although smith smith kind of fits into the same like is he truly truly like a center big yeah um but I, if I think he he counts as a big, and I definitely would not want to leave. Yeah, him me. I mean, I, I think so. Yeah,
1: and then I, I think Pukoszewski, I'm this kind of borderline for me. I'm not sure about his shooting, just because the mechanics that's with his upper body are inconsistent, and the, the numbers are like weirdly not great. They, they've never have been. So I, I mean, he's someone who probably like has a lot of versatility and like I think there's a good chance he gets there but
0: yeah I mean what I'll say for that is if Pokashevsky isn't a good enough shooter that you absolutely have to guard him then he is not an NBA player anyway
1: yeah and I think that's the reason why I'm lower than I'm lower than consensus and so is Max on Pokashevsky even though like I said I think in the last episode I have moved up I'm still not like top ten good, like quite a few people have mm-hmm. him because of that shooting uncertainties.
0: Yeah, I binged a bunch also and moved up as well. But I don't, I don't really think that he's the super high upside guy that people see, unless he's just a wild off the dribble shooter, um, which I don't really think is going to happen. Uh, and I just have, I have a lot of problems with his defense um, from a technical standpoint that I think a lot of like draft Twitter will commonly. Um, mm-hmm. Not care as much about because there are more individual defensive um issues than team defense things, but I have a lot of problems with that. Uh, but in, in, if we sp- if we spend too much time on every question, uh, yeah. we won't get through these. So should we move on to yeah, to Francis's other question?
1: Yeah. Uh. So, all right. So Francis's second question is: What is the weakest specific skill of the collective draft class? So Max, what was your answer there?
0: Yeah, this was really easy for me. I said <laughs> off the dribble space creation. Um, yeah. Pretty much the most important thing that you you need as a, to, as a prospect that's you know like we've talked about be someone with actual initiator equity someone that can be a franchise changer you pretty much need that and this class doesn't really have it even like the guys that we like as as upside gambles don't really create space off the dribble like anthony edwards's appeal is that he can make tough shots he doesn't actually really create space for them um and like Lamelo, I think is a pretty limited space creator. We've talked in depth about how Killian Hayes can't create space. So even these guys that we like at the top of the draft cannot create space.
1: Yeah, I mean, who who is the best space creator in this draft? Like, the, is it like Grant Riller? Like, um, yeah. So I was just thinking about Riller. that.
0: It might be Riller. Yeah, and um, like Grant
1: Riller is not a guy you want to draft in like the top five, and that's a. That's
0: a good statement on this class at this point. I mean, it, could, not... it could be like, yeah, it's probably Riller. I was thinking like down the board, like DJ Carton or. Yeah. <sighs> One of the guys that I'm going to talk about later. Like, yeah, me too. Mitchell. Oh, yeah. Mean, yeah. Yeah. But the, I mean, it's, it's a, the class is incredibly no. light on, um, on off the dribble space. Yeah, before. I mean, just comparing
1: to 21, like we talked about a couple episodes, I mean, mm-hmm. guys like BJ Boston, Jalen Green, even Cade, Yeah, like Kaminga, just loaded at the top with guys. Yeah, I mean, like,
0: I, I have a lot of <laughs> issues with Jalen Green, but, like, that dude can create space off the dribble. Yeah, absolutely. And
1: that, that, that that's just, like, the most important thing when you're looking for initiators. And like we said, that's the biggest weakness in this class, which is pretty massive weakness. So, yeah,
0: mm-hmm.
1: pretty easy answer there
0: um all right next we've got from friend of the program uh guest of episode two our first ever guest jackson (laughs) frank at jack frank underscore jff um harder skill to improve for an initiator ball handling or decision making uh ben what do you have for this
1: this was a tough one and i ended up going with decision making because i think if you're Looking at initiator prospects, which is what this is asking for, there's probably like a base level of ball handling, which which, I mean, it's not always true because you have guys like Anthony Edwards, who is deaf, who guys looked at an initiator, but um, are pretty dire ball handling prospects. But guys with guys who are supposed to be initiator prospects are going to take on difficult decision making responsibilities early and i think that just kind of lowers the ceiling for lowers the ability to improve that in the league even though i mean this was tough because i think ball handling is also very difficult to improve even though we have seen like some guys do it like we have seen it happen we've, we've seen both so max what did you go with?
0: yeah i went with it's really hard and depends what you mean um i think learning something like a skip to the corner out of pick and roll is not that hard but becoming like a manipulative Lamelo ball killian hayes type passer is impossible like i i don't think that that can really happen and not that that is necessarily the the bar that you have to hold guys to as an initiator like we've talked about with uh kyra lewis and and anthony edwards that the bar is a lot lower for some guys and that they don't need to be Lamelo level genius passers but i think getting to that level is impossible However, if you're just talking about learning basic, basic reads, maybe not to be a true initiator, but to be a guy who is going to play with the ball in his hands a fair amount, um, I think that it might be handling just because I can't really think of anyone that uh, has actually improved their ball handling all that much, even examples that people cite. Um, I know, like people point to it with Jalen Brown a lot this year, and like I think he, his ball control has definitely gotten better, but he's still not like a sophisticated ball handler, and really just like doesn't hold up in in trafficked areas. Uh, so I'm pretty skeptical of, of ball handling improvement because I think a lot of it stems from from physical things like I, I mean wingspan and hand size, a lot of things that you literally cannot improve. Um, but I think it depends on the degree of decision maker you're talking about
1: yeah and i think that's like it's kind of like a cop-out non-answer but it really does depend on degrees because like like max said it's just basically there's and that's that's why we value like these guys who are special decision makers so highly because that's not a thing you can teach really even though i think handling at least theoretically is something you can teach more than that but yeah i think max is definitely true like a, a baseline handler it's probably easier to get to a baseline acceptable level of decision making than a baseline acceptable level of handling but then again like both both probably have to be really high if you're going to be like a legitimate initiator on a good nba team so i think for like if you're talking about like championship level offensive engines i'd say i'd still go with decision making but like it's it's close and there's like there's levels of initiators like not every initiator is luka doncic um, for every Luca, you have a Zach Levine initiator. So, And it, it varies there. All right. All right. Shall, shall we move on to the fourth question? Yep. All right. Our fourth question is by um, Dom underscore Tesoriero, I think. Uh, apologies if I butchered that. And his question is, in a vacuum, should future drafts impact what teams do now? So, Max, what was your answer?
0: Um, my answer is to some degree. Uh, I think... For example, let's do concretely. Last year, should a team have passed on John Morant in the top three because this year was loaded with, with like guard initiators? I think the answer to that is no. If you because if you think John Morant is a special prospect, you shouldn't um, change your approach because of that. Um, that said, I think that it should be considered even fairly early in the draft for someone like the Cavs. The Cavs have taken small guards each of the last two years neither of which is particularly special. And now this year, very, they very well may be in a place where they come onto the board and the four or five best players available are all small guards. And this is something that we, we knew two years ago, that this class was loaded with small guards and they took unspectacular ones for two years anyway. Um, so that's a, that's a way that, um, that it should be accounted for. And the other way that I thought of was this year, for example, I would consider a late one early two promise to some of the less um highly regarded initiators this year because next year's class is a little shallower uh so someone like dj carton tyrell terry like that's a guy i try to entice to to leave college and enter his name into the draft with a late first promise uh to avoid that guy becoming maybe a lottery pick next year um so i think future drafts should should impact your planning not to the degree that you're passing on a special talent, but uh, you you should have a long view and know know what uh, you know things will cost you in the future and and how that plays into your team building.
1: yeah, i I agree. I think the answer is yes, but it depends. I think the critical point is, especially for the first point Max made about planning about future planning and the example of the Cavs, is just because you've taken, Prospects of one position, and maybe if they've underwhelmed, don't marry yourself to those prospects, because because there's because there's like a because there's a positional redundancy. So for example, I'll give like the Bulls with Kobe White, who's probably fine, but if if the Bulls have a chance to get Lamelo Ball or Killian Hayes, or they shouldn't marry themselves they shouldn't avoid that chance like so if the bulls think that Lamelo or killian is by far the best prospect on the board they shouldn't go with um a non one of those two or a a non-guard because they drafted kobe white last year so i think it works in the inverse but yeah like i said planning is important and like just like awesome like maybe like if a team it's always risky to assume that you're going to be bad next year because you just can't know but there's some teams that will most likely know so especially like maybe like knowing the top of next year's class is loaded with creators could maybe afford to go with one that's not a creator um in preparation for next year but still that's risky and if you really think um a creator at the top of this year's draft is the best option then you shouldn't not take him um because next year's draft is loaded with creators and if he ends up not panning out then don't not take a creator next year because that is a- so
0: many negatives ben i have so no ma- idea what you're saying yeah i was very roundabout
1: point but i'm just saying, don't be attached don't not take a prospect because <laughs> you took a prospect of the same position last year that's what i'm trying to say Qu-
0: quadruple negative there <laughs> um yeah I, I think that i mean there are there are ways to to budget for it. like i think that we've talked a lot about opting for safety in this class and that can make more sense. If you're a team that has like no long-term move piece, like if you're the Hornets and you come up and you can pick between like, I guess what we'd consider to be more of an upside shot on like an RJ Hampton, or you could take Onyeka Kongwu who we think is just going to be like a very good big man for a long time. I think that it might be more justifiable to say yeah, we're gonna lock in on Kangru. We think he's going to be a good player, and then we're confident we won't be good next year. We don't have a, a, like a long term building piece, and next year is when we'll take our shot on a uh, BJ Boston, Kate Cunningham, Jonathan Kuminga. Like, I think, I think there is definitely a case to be made for that. But yeah. you should never be, you should never be passing on a prospect that you think is clearly better than another one because of. Yeah. I think future classics.
1: Yeah, that's that's the point I was trying to make in a much more eloquent way,
0: by in a much more succinct way by Max. So <laughs> I think we're ready to move on to the next question. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. From uh, at mnef three seven one zero. To what extent is uh, likely NBA opportunity weighted in your draft evaluation? And the example he gives is James Wiseman.
1: Um, for me, it isn't. Um. I think it's an important thing to consider, just like when thinking about the draft. But in terms of how I how I rank prospects, I don't consider whether or not they're going to get a shot in the NBA. I mean, think, thinking about NBA opportunity is certain certainly important because I mean, a prospect that I like very much. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example here. I don't know, t- like Taylor and Tucker. Sure, T H T. Yeah, um, that's a good one. Is is just not going to get the same opportunity as like R J Barrett. Um, or someone else drafted highly, they're just not going to. And even if a prospect is great, and and I believe in them strongly, if they don't get a chance to play, if they don't get the leash to maybe correct their weaknesses on the court and develop, then they're never going to play. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of, like, my big board, it doesn't factor in, but it's important.
0: I disagree with that. I do factor it in. Um, not a huge amount, but James Wiseman – is a good example. He would probably be a bit lower for me if I weren't accounting for the fact that he's going to be a top five pick and will get opportunity after opportunity to succeed in the NBA. Uh, it was something that concerned me. I mentioned Taylor Norton Tucker because I put him in my in my notes to, for this question because it was it was a concern that popped up for me when I you know judging off the film thought he was a fringe lottery talent. Um, and I ended up with him in that spot, but I think I ended up dropping him at least a spot or two just because of concern over, over opportunity. I mean, there were some people who had bowl bowl extraordinarily high, uh, and probably didn't account enough for the fact that he might not get an opportunity. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's hard to predict. Uh, but with, you know, these cases like Wiseman, where you're really pretty certain that he's going to go as a top five guy and get the this, the tag that that comes with that that gets you opportunity after opportunity in the Nba i think you you should budget for it because it's a real thing it's it's it like it has genuine tangible impact it's part of of this player's projection um so yeah i would i absolutely account for it i don't weight it highly i think that that that's bad practice to to say okay the the Nba is high on this guy therefore i have to be high on him i think that creates a lot of really Bad and dangerous group think that produces honestly a lot of the of the problems you see in mainstream draft evaluation. But uh, I think it's worth accounting for for sure.
1: All right, um, are we good to move on to the next question? Yep. All right, so this is from our friend PD at Above the Break Three on Twitter. Uh, what is the biggest gap between best and second best at an individual skill in this draft, Max?
0: Okay, real. I have a bunch for this because I really like this question. Uh, I'll just I'll it. roll through all of them uh the first i have is lamello creativity as a passer um i think second is probably tyrese halliburton um uh, what do you think about that one
1: um i agree i had that same one i put killian hayes well i didn't necessarily have creativity as a passer i just mm-hmm. had like passing and manipulation yeah of so i put
0: i put specifically creativity okay. because yeah. like there are lots of guys who are manipulative and very good passers like mm-hmm. halliburton like killian hayes but no one invents passes in the way that LaMelo yeah. does. Um, so I thought this the very specific aspect of passing creativity yeah, is true. the thing that no one approaches LaMelo on.
1: Yeah. N- nobody really does come close. And I think if we're sp- speaking specifically creativity, like probably Halliburton the mm-hmm. second, um, I don't think there's anybody that really comes close. There's probably a tier yeah. of guys. So right. Max, what else do you have?
0: Okay. I had Tyrese Maxey balance um some other guys that are good devin dotson marcus Zagorowski. um it, it's hard i think to like properly delineate between maxi's strength and balance but i i i don't know he's incredibly balanced as a finisher his pull-ups are a thing of beauty from a balance perspective he's just is is just so well proportioned uh from a weight perspective so i think he's really really outlier good in that in that area um but I, I think that's probably less of a gap than Lamelo's passing creativity. Yeah,
1: I think we'll, like, at least on the, the, the ones I had, I think the gap between Lamelo and the next one was the biggest gap out of any
0: of these different mm-hmm. skills, at least to me. Okay, I've got a couple more. Right. Go, um, yeah. I've got Oscar Chibwe positional movement. Um, I, mm-hmm. I have Onyeka's really good at that too. And then Pogoshevsky has good movement capability, but his technical movement is really, really bad. Uh so I didn't really know how to factor that in. I guess I'd probably just say Onyeka's second best positional mover. Um and I think there's a definitely a gap between Oscar and him. But again, I that Lamello passing creativity gap is just enormous. All
1: right. So yeah. I had one um I put uh, like this is kind of I put uh Grant Riller for guard finishing and rim pressure, okay, or, yeah. Uh, guard finishing. I mean, if we're talking about in general finishing, finishing, um, someone like Obi Toppin has a case to be better mm-hmm. than him. But if we're talking guard finishing, I don't think anybody's really close to. So yeah. there. I mean, Maxi uh, kind of gets there. Maxi's very good. Yeah, Maxie's but real R- Yeah, Real is on a different level than anybody there.
0: Yeah, that's a good call.
1: Yeah, and then another one. I went. Um, this is kind of an obvious. One. I went. Um, Devin Vassell. Uh, with physically antici- weak side anticipation and nail defense. I could have mm-hmm. just bottled this up in team defense, but. I
0: mean, yeah. And- Killian Hayes is really good at nail defense. I think yeah. Tyler Bay is pretty anticipatory. Yeah. I think just um, in general,
1: the whole package, I think. Yeah. The
0: whole cool. like defensive instincts. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, there are other guys that are very yeah. good. It's hard to find a word for that, but like. Yeah, there are other guys that are very good. I think it's a big, it's probably a big gap, but not as big as as the LaMelo passing. Yeah, certainly not as as some of the
1: gaps that we have
0: found. One more that I have that this actually might be the second biggest gap. Um, Leandro Balmaro ball handling. Uh, because who is the second best ball handler? I thought of maybe like Jared Butler or LaMelo, but I think he's way better than LaMelo because
1: really good,
0: yeah, and. While LaMelo has, like, LaMelo's highs as a ball handler are, are, like, higher even maybe than Balmaro's, but... On like a play-to-play basis, he's just a guy who like over dribbles a lot, and I think tends to not be that deceptive with his moves, not like that forceful. So he, while he does break out these these like high level flashes that are really really ridiculous, on a play-to-play basis, I don't think his ball handling is that wild, which is why I think some people are just lower on his ball handling in general. Whereas Balmaro is just unbelievably controlled. Uh, his variation in dribble heights is ridiculous. His moves are ridiculous. He's highly deceptive. He's quick out of them. Um, I think he's like the best ball handler by a really large margin, which is pretty amazing for a guy who's six seven and like a wing stopper. Yeah, he's um,
1: Bolmaro is really good.
0: Yeah, he's really good. Um, So I think that's a really large mm. gap. Again, probably yeah. not as much as Lamelo's passing creativity because Lamelo is like the most creative passer I've ever seen. But Bolmaro's ball handling, I think, is probably yeah. the best in the class by mm. a good margin.
1: Yeah. I had a couple more uh, fun little ones.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I had Nate Hinton long rebounds because
0: yeah. Yeah, he he's just great at
1: does things. that um, all the time. I had Skylar May's spin moves because
0: there are other guys that have very good spin moves. No,
1: but but his I I think at least like with the dribble I like it's so controlled and so tight mm-hmm. and like he whips like he does it like with way more regularity than
0: mm-hmm.
1: most guys.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to and think then, of who else has a sharp yeah, spin move.
1: I'm trying to think of like like I I can't think of any guys who I do think
0: it. I've like, seen some as really a, good ones from Ant, obviously with us. Yeah. With less consistency, but I think, I think I've seen some yeah, really. Yeah, good ones.
1: I think the consistency and the control is what's important. And then my last list is a shout out to our friend uh, Mike Gribanov, uh, Miles McBride transition defense. Um, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, it's he's just ridiculous. Really, really
0: good. He's. I mean,
1: Miles McBride's awesome and uh, like. Spoiler, he he's going to come up in some future yep, questions. Mine too. But yeah, he's gonna come up in some future answers, but he's such a great like great all around prospect, but the transition defense. I mean, there oh, was, I, was the one play in, against Texas Tech where Yeah, I think I know the player, top top player talking about as me, it. I, once and broke up a lob, I mean, he he's kind of ridiculous at that. It's a very like random niche scale to be good at, but um but yeah, he's undoubtedly the best there.
0: Yeah, I need to look it up because I think I know the exact play you're talking about because it's the greatest. Yeah, exactly. It's this play against Texas Tech. Um, Yeah, he just he defends the ball and then recovers to the lob and breaks it up. It's incredible. Uh, It's like the best transition defense I've ever seen. Um, Yeah, that's that's a good call. I don't know who else is. Yeah, like notably okay. good at transition defense. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a random
1: one, but I, all right, that's all I, that's all I had. I don't have any more. I'm, I'm sure we could like honestly do a whole podcast. I'm yeah, like, this, this, we, we could. could. Yeah. I love this question. This is an incredibly fun one.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Next is a much easier question in our opinions, but yeah. this is a controversial take, I guess Uh, from at rat CWC. Who is the better Bay Sadiq or Tyler? And Tyler. yeah, we both have Tyler yeah. by a pretty good margin. Yep. Um, Tyler, incredible, incredible team defender. Very, very impressive vertical athlete. Um, Fairly projectable. Mark. What was but that?
1: I, I think it's reasonably projectable.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not, like, too bad mechanically. He shoots well on free throws. Uh, he just yeah. doesn't really take them. He no. weirdly takes, like, a lot of movement threes. Um, he does, so like, it's yeah. bizarre that he's schemed all these movement it's threes. Like-
1: it's like Tyler Bay and like Dylan Dissu or like the list of random non-shooters that shoot a lot of movement threes. It, it, it's funny, but like he, he's good at it. Like, like he's not great at them, but he's the fact that he shoots them is encouraging to me.
0: Yeah, but Tyler Bay, I think we would both have as one of the better defensive prospects in the entire class. Whereas Sadiq, uh, buy him as a spot-up shooter. Buy him as a decision maker, attacking uh, secondarily. Do not buy him as an on-ball space creator. I don't really like his pull-up. Um, I don't. I don't like
1: defense as much.
0: Yeah. I don't like the defense at all. I think he's going to be a bad NBA defender because I don't like his movement. I don't think he's particularly intelligent. Um, He's got good recovery tools. He's big and long. um, And that has, that worked as a perimeter defender in college, but I'm a lot more skeptical in the NBA. Uh, I think not to speak for both of us, but I, I do think we're pretty aligned on this, that he is someone who seems like he will be a solid NBA player. Not, not even a solid NBA player, an NBA player, but really, just not one who changes anything at all. Um, and it's just pretty meh.
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think there's definitely some merit and some value to saying this guy is six foot eight and he's going to shoot pretty highly um, at a pretty high level. Like, that's worth something, but not as much as a lot of people think, or at least value in terms of my evaluation, at least. And I'm pretty sure Maxis is similar. Mm, yeah. Just like, without those ancillary skills on both sides, it's. That's a bit more troubling evaluation-wise. So, yeah, both of us are pretty clearly in the Tyler Bay camp over Sadiq Bay camp. All right, ready for the next question? Yep, let's do it. So this is from at OGA Ugly. Where do you have Josh Christopher on your big board, and why is everyone so low on him, even though most scouts have him as top 10? Also, how much weight do you put into a player's ability to create their own shot into your evaluation of their play? All right. I think again, we're going to be pretty similar on this one, but
0: yeah, I've only done a lottery for 2021, and Christopher's not in it. Not all that close, really. Um, he has some wildly impressive handling and finishing moments, but he's really small and just like a next-level bad decision maker. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like really strong, uh, has some impressive like two-foot vertical moments, uh, yeah. but yeah, more of like a mixtape guy than I think yeah. an actual winning player. Uh, will will not be highly ranked for me. Uh, and then the second part of the question, I think it's something pro- we've probably made pretty clear throughout every episode of this show. Uh, a lot uh, shot creators are the most important thing out there. Um, they're what drive you know offense and basketball, uh, and they're, they're the most cherished commodity. Uh, but I do think it's also important to impact uh, winning without the ball. Um, especially if you're not a high level shot creator, like if the only way you can generate off or the only way you can generate value is by being a shot creator and you're not really, really good at it, then that's a very big problem because if you're not really good at being a shot creator, you're not going to have the ball. And if you're not generating value otherwise, um, you know, that that's really problematic for a team, which is why I think you'll see us high on a guy like Xavier Tillman who never needs the ball. Um, and is going to generate impact in every other way, um, so I think it's very, very important at the high end. But when when that's the only thing you can do and you can't do it at a special level, it uh, like it falls off in value exponentially.
1: Yeah, like Max said, I have a tentative top twenty of just the, of just the the freshmen and. 01 I think or 02 internationals and Christopher's not on my t- not not there um like 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 I said he's a very legitimately good shot creator I mean he's strong he's bursty he can get up he's a pretty good handling finisher but he's being being small and not being able to shoot or not not being able to shoot but just not having like a crazy good shooting projection is really really stark at that that size and his threshold of decision making because like Max said he's just an utterly bad decision maker Yeah, Christopher has a lot of limitations to overcome. He's actually going to be a high-level shot creator because he's not a guy who's going to drive championship level offenses. I think that's pretty clear. But he's also not a guy who's going to add any value without usage. He's a guy who very much needs the ball to to, um, add any sort of value. And those kind of players just aren't very valuable. Have to hit a very high threshold to be good at initiation, and he's just not there. And then He'll, he'll need to develop some serious off ball capabilities and the decision making is
0: just so problematic. I'm not sure it ever
1: gets there. So yeah. Yeah. Um, and like
0: the, the counter that people will raise to that sometimes is like, well, he projects as, as a good sixth man then. But I mean, in reality, those guys are so replaceable that I don't, I just have no interest in drafting a guy to be a sixth man. Like you can, yeah. if, if a guy is not really exceptional, like if there's not a Marcus smart, not a Fred Van Vliet, like he, you can get a replaceable version from you know signing them as a free agent over from overseas you can get them signing them as an undrafted free agent like i i just don't think that there's any reason to draft josh christopher highly if you can go and i mean miles powell is not a good example because he he's going to get drafted at some point uh which i wouldn't do but there are so we'll there like are co- yeah there are comparable guys that you can just sign as undrafted free agents. I mean, you can always sign Shane Larkin. Um, and like, the, I, I, I mean, mean I'm, not, I,
1: I'm not sure you actually can at this point, I think maybe you not at this point,
0: but you can, you can always sign. Brad like, like you can always sign a guy who's really good in Europe, often for the minimum Shane Larkin, you couldn't sign for the minimum, but you can always sign a guy in that vein. Um, which is why I, both of us tend to devalue the backup point guard, six man types. Yep. Um, I think that applies to Christopher.
1: Yeah, I think so. I I I think that kind of covers it. So, what did you want
0: to do? Did you want to answer the creator part?
1: Oh yeah. Whoops. I mean, yeah, but I don't have too much to add to Max's question. I mean, pretty as you you know, we've seen throughout the show. Very important at the high end, but as we as you taper off and you get to these lower level creators, it becomes less and less important because scalability and portability is really important in the modern nba that's increasingly seeing more like very more teams run with one very very high level creator than multiple and just like you, you need scalable players to be able to function without usage and guys that like are not high level creators and can't function without usage aren't super valuable so, yeah, n- not much else
0: okay next from at nuno soars i think i don't know we we a blanket apology for any mispronunciations. Um, how important slash impactful do you think it, uh, having a tool like Synergy is for overall player scouting?
1: I think speaking on Synergy specifically, because it's like the one everyone knows about as the big paid one. I mean it certainly helps, but it's not necessary by any means. I mean, having having things like half-court um at the rim numbers and um Half card throw numbers and runner numbers and pull up jumper numbers are important, and obviously the video thing is very very important if you can. But like I think, although though it, though it adds an advantage, it's certainly possible. I mean, there, there's always there's always free accessible tools. I mean, for if you don't know synergy, um, Bartorvik is an awesome resource that provides similar function uh, for games. There's there's YouTube uh, has some games. Watch ESPN has games. I mean, there 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 are ways to find tape that sometimes it can be difficult but it's like if you don't have synergy it's not like you cannot scout you you, you cannot do it like so like yes like, like it certainly helps and like there's not like a certain number like degree of how helpful it is because it certainly varies but like if you can like like if you like understand what when you're watching film and like i mean yeah you you don't need synergy you can contextualize enough with um bar and Vasco reference in the games you yeah, have so
0: yeah, well I think first of all it's important to delineate between which synergy you mean. Do you if you mean stats only, uh it's closer to what Ben said. If you mean the full the full um synergy with with access to every game that's played um and clips, then Everyone that the is a total game changer. Um it like completely completely changes the way that you can go about scouting and like while we've hated it in the past on just watching synergy clips because it's a really bad way to scout. If you want to hear more about that, um, listen to episode five with Mitch Libanoff. Um, watching just clips without the context of a full game is really not good. However, if you're watching full games, having access to those clips, just one makes your life way easier because you don't have to constantly be time stamping and clipping things, uh, which is what we do. Um, but also just uh, – allows you to if you're curious if you see something uh that you think is weird or interesting on a runner attempt you can then go and watch every single runner attempt that the guy has taken in the entire season and you can do it for last season and the season before if he's you know a multi-year guy um and that's really invaluable uh so full video synergy is an unbelievably valuable tool uh that obviously, like, obviously, individuals can't buy, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it's worth a lot of money. Uh, yeah, it's it's a really valuable tool. Um, stats only synergy, I think, is pretty helpful. Looking at just the play types is not all that useful, but going into the subcategories can help a lot. Looking at stuff like runners, half court rim frequency, uh, half court rim percentage, because it's really, I think, very important to. Um, to make a distinction between half court finishing and transition finishing, and so for yeah. some guys, those numbers change a ton. Uh, and I think it can be useful for looking at like tendencies in pick and roll and stuff like that. So synergy stats only, I would say, is pretty helpful. I I, don't know, I check it probably a couple times during during any given game that I'm watching. Uh, but f- the full fully loaded synergy is a total game changer.
1: Yeah. Alright, so angle's pretty good. Shall we move on to the next question? Yeah, it's good. All right, this is from at Precision Precision Scout. Who, in your opinion, has the best chance to make a big freshman to sophomore leap? Um, E. G. Culver, Halliburton, Jaw Vassal. And the examples he gives are James Buchknight, Miles McBride, Spencer Jones. So Max, I'll let you start. Think at least a couple of those names we'll have on our lists.
0: Yeah, so Spencer Jones, I don't think, is gonna make a leap like that, although I do I do like Spencer Jones a lot and think he'll he'll be pretty high on my board next year. Top sixty guy for me right now. But uh, I don't know if we've talked about him before. His main problem is that he like does not move in the direction We're of the rim ever. One. Yeah, like he so just doesn't he just doesn't move toward the rim ever. Uh but unbelievable shooter at, at like six seven. Um Book Knight, I don't love by any means. Uh I cuz he emerged later in the season. I watched a couple games recently and he just he didn't really pop in in any way to me. McBride is the one that comes to mind as being a really big time uh opportunity to pop like this. Uh, I think we're both pretty high on him. But he um yeah, in a larger role, his defense is pretty incredible. Uh, like Ben said, the transition defense is amazing. But I was just watching before we started recording uh, the, one of the Kansas-West Virginia games, and his his point of attack defense was unbelievable in the first half of that game. Uh, he's an off the ball defensive playmaker, and then on the ball, he's a pretty impressive space creator at times. Um, and I think that yeah, he could be someone that really skyrockets upwards. Uh, it, given the depth of of next year's class, you know, who knows about being a lottery talent or something like that. But uh, I think he, he could really skyrocket up boards. Um, yeah. the, another name is someone that we've talked about now, I think, on episode one and last week's episode, Nashawn Highland uh, at VCU. Needs to bulk up for sure, but um, could, could definitely, I think, see a lot of growth in a bigger role. Um, then I've got DJ Carton, Ohio State freshman point guard, who is in the transfer portal um, – don't know where he's gonna be yet, but I, I mentioned he's a guy that I'd consider promising even in the late first this year. Could see him really, really moving up boards given the lack of initiators after the top guys next year. Um, really big fan of DJ Carton. Uh, then I've got uh, one more I've got that so I've got two guys that aren't really freshmen to sophomore because I've got Brandon Newman at Purdue was a guy that I really liked coming out of high school last year. Um, and ended up redshirting, but he was what he was one of the best shooters in last year's uh, high school class and has like some pretty pretty solid moments as a defensive playmaker. It's got some size, um, and I think has got adequate uh, athletic tools. So I'm very curious to see what he does. Uh, I, I thought it was a shame that he ended up redshirting. Uh, and then the other guy that I've got who is not a freshman, but I think has one of the biggest um, opportunity increases coming his way is will richardson at oregon uh he's a sophomore uh but peyton pritchard obviously is graduating and and will be headed to some professional league most likely the nba um but richardson i really really like uh he's got impressive craft and skill as a driver despite not being specific uh, particularly explosive and can be a really disruptive defender uh and i think he's obviously slated for a really large increase in role next year at oregon
1: yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, all right, so I, I agree. With, yeah, all those like all those agreed with Miles McBride. Interested to see where he's gonna end up ranking on my board at least because the top of the draft list is very saturated with creators, but like he's like I said, very good and defensively, so probably a first round guy or at least close. So the guy, the main guy I had that Max didn't talk about is Romeo Weems, DePaul. Oh, how could I forget um, Romeo Weems? Yeah, <laughs> I'm disappointed in you. Um, well, well I'm, I'm I have him
0: for, I have him for a later answer. Yeah,
1: yeah, I have met, I have a couple of guys that I'm kind of surprised that you forgot. Um, Romeo Weems is awesome guy who I had in the Lotto top, um, in preseason, and then I still have him in the first round. Just this absolutely awesome defender. Crazy mover at like six foot six, six foot seven, incredibly, incredibly smart team defender, like can gamble a little bit, but just an awesome playmaker. And then offensively, the decision making I think honestly like is, is better than it was
0: pre-college. Yeah, it got a lot better. Yeah. Because he was an on the ball creator in AAU and was a was pretty bad. bad decision maker. It's why I, I was a little hesitant with some people were getting him really, really high up. Um and I didn't didn't buy his creation chops. But um, last year in, in or his, his final year of AAU, uh, he really he did turn into like a pretty pretty competent shooter after being a yep. bit of a non-shooter in FIBA. Um, but yeah, he definitely like he has enough creation ability to be functioning in a secondary role. And then he went to to um, to Paul and ended up being a fifteen usage guy. I think it was pretty just surprising that he that he was that um, underutilized.
1: Yeah, and Weems like. I think that's a reason Williams good. Like Williams is very good in the low usage role as well. Like I thought, I think it was the FIBA like U seventeen or eighteen. I'm not sure what he played. at. he was like arguably USA's best player in that tournament, despite playing pre low usage on offense. Like he was insanely good in that tournament.
0: Yeah, he was really dominant defensively. Uh, yeah, I I don't. I don't have a take on how, where he ranked among USA's player, but he was I, notably dominant yeah. defensively.
1: Yeah, I don't have a definitive rank. I can't, I can't even tell you everyone on that team off the top of my head, but, like, he was fantastic. Offensively, like, he can, he has, like, some real flashes of, like, space creation with his handle and getting to the rim and some pretty good passing ones, too. So this is, like, a guy who, like, especially with Paul Reed, likely going to the, like, the thing in the draft. Likely, you know, Oh, yeah, yeah Paul, Paul Reed's gone. Yeah, Paul Reed's gone. gone. He's going to have a more pronounced role. Romeo well, is
0: going to be... He's, is uh, Charlie Moore graduating as well? God, I hope so for Romeo Williams' sake. <laughs> no, I think he... No. Is yeah, junior. Moore
1: is definitely going to hold him back.
0: Or yeah, unfortunately. Is, unfortunately yeah, Charlie Moore's a junior.
1: Might as well. Prob, might be like the worst time major like starting point guard in the country. <laughs> He's not, He's not good. a good
0: decision maker. No.
1: Um. So, yeah, Romeo Williams is awesome. Uh, another guy I had is David Johnson at Louisville. Who, yeah,
0: like, um, I'm, I'm not as huge the,
1: on him yeah. that, like, I'd say I'm, like, fairly mid on him. I know you're, like, quite low. Um, there are some people that are really high. Um, I acknowledge that like, the, that, like, I think even though the, um, he's just, like, the 6'5 point guard who's, like, a pretty good pa- – quite a good passer, even though he's very ambitious. Um, his, The shooting numbers aren't great, but, like, he's actually, like, shot really well on long twos this year, on, like, pull-up twos this year, which is impressive. Defensively, he's quite good. I mean, just a guy who's going to get more of a leash – I leave it with Jordan DeWara gone next year. Um, another guy to look at. I think probably is gonna take at least a definitely a statistical leap, which is gonna be important for his that on mainstream boards. Um yeah, so David Johnson is another one. I had Tyrell Terry, who's um who I'm less sure of actually making a big leap because I'm not sure how much development he's gonna do because he's already quite good. Like I feel like some of these guys are maybe guys that underperformed in their freshman year that we rated highly coming out, like like Weems or like Weems or some other guys. But yeah, like Terry was legitimately of like a good college player this year. So I'm not sure how much ceiling there is to improve for him. But definitely a guy who I think is gonna move up boards next year.
0: And then yeah. like okay. I didn't include Terry because I thought there was a chance that he was gonna declare and that's still unclear. Yeah, um, that's true. but yeah, that's why I didn't include Terry. Not not someone that I forgot, just yeah. uh, I don't
1: know. Yeah, I, he he could declare. I I probably would bet against it. But
0: yeah, yeah. it's it seems like there's no way to know. know. There's no way to know. Yeah,
1: yeah. And then a couple like more like sleepery guys. I had two Miami guards who were really popular in the season: um, Harlan Beverly and Isaiah Wong. Um, Harlan was a guy that I was kind of big on coming out, and then disappeared at the beginning of the year but came on pretty strong towards the end of the year this like six foot four skinny combo guard which is kind of like the issue he doesn't have a position but he's like he's got such a weird collection of outlier skills i mean he's a crazy athlete he's like he's quite good passing the ball too like he's got live dribble skips and stuff with both hands um he can his finishing is improved defensively he's pretty smart I think like if we're talking about more outlier skills like he's outlier good like poking the ball away from ball handlers at the point of attack his hands are crazy good and Isaiah Wong I'm less high on as like a legit prospect but uh, like a quite a good score at the end of the year and should like should definitely get on mainstream radars because of his scoring even if he's definitely not as good as Harlan those are two like lesser prospects who are like not who are definitely not on the level of the other guys we talked about, but guys who should creep towards radars next year. And yeah, those are the guys that I got.
0: Yeah, I liked Harlan coming into the year. I think I watched one Miami game early in the year and have not watched them since, so don't really have a take on those guys. But I liked Har- Harland at a uh, Montverde. Yeah. All right, All next right. question we've got uh, from just a normal. Hume one. Uh, how is Lamelo's upside higher than Killian Hayes?
1: Once again, the Prep the Pro NBA Draft Podcast is sponsored by Simply Safe. Go to simplysafe.com/team today, and you'll get a free shipping and a sixty-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now and be sure you go to simplysafe.com/team. That's simplysafe.com/team. All right, so I'll go with this as the guy who has Lamelo number one. I just think. Lamelo with his ball hand like what like about his passing is the creativity is probably the biggest gap to anyone else he's just like a savant level passer and his ball handling is quite is better than Hayes too like you said i think a lot of it stems from his physical deficiencies where his ball ball handling deficiencies are cuz he's just like so weak and gets bumped off the spots really easily and can't maneuver into the spots physically but like handling control and and deceptiveness and stringing together moves i mean he's fantastic there i think those two things. I think he's just got a higher up higher um a higher upside as like a potential initiator prospect, which is important. But that's not to say it's like so far apart cuz like I mean they're like one spot apart on my board. They're both fantastically good prospects. So, it's not like I don't think it's a, as huge of a gap as maybe like the mainstream will probably think. We'll definitely think that between the Lamelo and Hayes upside. Uh, I I would definitely give it to Lamelo, but like Hayes is quite good, especially that he's put together some of the flashes of pull-up shooting into like actuality and his athleticism in terms of change of direction has improved. So yeah, I mean Lamelo's just with his with his ball handling and passing, but it's it's not crazy far apart.
0: Yeah, I think that the passing creativity and just like ambitiousness as a decision maker uh is definitely part of it. But I think there's real hope for Lamelo to be an off the dribble space creator because the gap in handle is really enormous. Like Killian Hayes' handle is really not good. Like it's it's not controlled or deceptive. Like he doesn't have shake. He doesn't even flash the moves that Lamelo does. Uh and Lamelo flashes at such a high level. Like he flashes as a really, really special ball handler. And then just I mean you kind of you got at this a bit with the pull-up shooting, but Lamelo is a much more ambitious pull-up shooter. Um and while they both have mechanical flaws, like Lamello attempts really deep attempts. He attempts them with a quicker trigger. Um, he's just, I think, is a different level in terms of if he can get to a point where it's sound enough mechanically to go in at a good enough per- percentage, he's going to take much more threatening shots than Killian Hayes. Yeah. Uh, and has the ability, I think, to create space for those shots in a much more legitimate way than Hayes. Yeah, so
1: I think... That, that kind of sums it up, just the individual creation and and then the
0: passing is what sets them apart there. Oh, and I think there's also – while Killian is, is way, way, way farther along as a defender right now, um, there's, I think, room for Lamelo to close the gap as a team defender because of how brilliant he is. Um, the, there is a chance that he becomes a pretty high-value team defender as, as a playmaker – uh, I don't really buy that as much, but that, I do think that's something to factor yeah. in, that he could close that gap a bit. And especially
1: if Melo fills out physically. I mean, he's starting from a very low baseline, but I think he's had like a frame conducive to filling out. I'm no expert there, but uh, yeah, I would think, uh, agreed defensively, probably never going to be as good as Hayes, but definitely can be close. All right, so we're gonna go to head to the next question. This is from our friend Jake at Jake in the Paint. What are the main ancillary skills you look for when evaluating a potential three and D prospect?
0: Yeah, so we've talked about on this episode already. The handling is very important. Uh, obviously, you don't need to be an advanced ball handler, but you do need to be controlled and able to attack a closeout. Uh, and then, of course, the thing that we all, always talk about: decision making. Um, even even as a guy who's not um, Who's not, you know, orchestrating actions uh, when you are attacking in an advantage situation? I want a guy who, you know, is not going to opt for the difficult runner. He's going to skip it to the corner or whatever, which is why, which is like I think an appealing point for someone like Sadiq Bay, where he had success as as a decision maker, as really a guy who was creating a lot in college. But when that scales down to to a an ancillary role, um, that, I think that decision making will sustain in a way that will be. Uh, very positive for his role.
1: Yeah, I think having those ancillary skills is super important, because, like, as you said plenty of times, uh, being a 3 and D player is way more than just shooting threes and playing defense, because, I mean, at least at this point, you have to be able to do more than space the floor um, at a high level. And I guess, like, that's why, like, I'd have a guy like Josh Green higher than someone like Aaron Neesmith on my board, even if it's marginally, because even though Neesmith is clearly the better shooting prospect, um, Green, like, while I'm... I'm on the higher level of buying a shot. If, if you don't buy a shot, that's, that, that's kind of a different um, point. But if you do buy a shot, he's clearly better in terms of ancillary skills, at least in my opinion. So that's just a random example to make the point that ancillary skills are very important. Uh, this is being able to make a decision, attacking a closeout and making the best of advantages that others create for you is really important. So this yeah, is making, not like this stellar, you don't need to be an, like a primary level handler. You just have to be able to, be confident there obviously like any other special skills add to it but ha- mm-hmm. like base base level handling and decision making are the two most important ones I think. all
0: right next question is uh back to the the prep roots uh from at xmzdcr uh adrian griffin jr also known as aj griffin how high is his ceiling um
1: i haven't seen a ton of aj griffin adrian griffin I've seen a lot of him but I think
0: the answer is quite high. Um yeah. Just I've seen a lot at this point of AJ Griffin yeah. and I well, think it's wildly high. Yeah. Um, so, as a quickly so. Yeah, as a 15 16 year old wing with a legitimate NBA body like 6 7 and built, this guy could be an all-time great shooter. Uh he has beautiful mechanics and the numbers are insane. Like there's some, there are numbers that you don't see for guys that young. Even for like ridiculous small guard shooters, um, his his shooting numbers are just insane. And then to go along with that, he is a really advanced ball handler. Like he makes dribble moves that NBA wings do not make. That very few guys that size in the entire world are, are capable of making. And on top of that, will make eye popping passes that reflect like pretty high level reads Um, like decision-making comes and goes his engagement I think comes and goes, but uh, he has everything you could want from a prospect. Like at the moment, I think wildly underrated because he's not regarded among the very, very best guys in, in high school uh, by a lot of sources. But I think he very clearly is like, I think he's better than someone that we, we talked about last week. He's better than Paolo. He's better than, uh, I think he's better than Kuminga. I think he, he's he's probably not a better prospect than Cade, but I could see it. Like he could he I think could be in that conversation certainly with like Cade, Imoni Bates, like as the true like very very best guy uh, guys across every high school class. Like AJ Griffin does some things that are absolutely nuts. Um, from a wing that age, or really a wing prospect at any age. Uh, and I'm really excited to see how he develops because he could be a pretty special prospect.
1: Yeah, it's just like I think ESPN has him maybe like 10th, which is madness. I mean, yeah,
0: I mean, he's, he's yeah. nuts. Like, he, he yeah. is insane. Like, uh, I would recommend uh, searching. Definitely my my account, I've posted a lot of A.J. Griffin clips. Uh, Our friend Ross Homan has posted a lot of A.J. Griffin clips. Yeah, he, he has actually,
1: on Griffin too.
0: Yeah, Ross has been huge on Griffin. Um, wrote a piece on the Stepien that I would recommend checking out. Uh, Griffin is a ridiculously good prospect with a with an intimidatingly high ceiling.
1: Yeah, he's awesome. Going to be really fun when he comes around. He is committed to Duke, by the way, already. So
0: Really? Oh, I didn't even yeah, know that. Is. Yeah, he's committed yeah, and he's high school class of twenty twenty one, which yep. is the expected to be the last the one
1: and done year. last one a year. All right. So I don't have much else to add on Griffin. He's awesome. You go watch him if you want to break from the twenty twenty class. Super fun. Yeah, he has a fair All amount right, of games
0: um, on uh on yeah, YouTube also. Archbishop yep. Stepanak. Yeah. Uh where he plays with in... um with RJ Davis, a J. small scoring guard, who's going to North Carolina next year. Um he's also good. Yeah. And if you can find any uh, place all right, there, next we've
1: a, got also. Okay, yeah, yeah. All that's
0: right. right. Um, next all we've right. got from JNA One, uh, how do you handle attributes that are outlier good but unclear in value? Like um something that Ben mentioned earlier, Nate Hinton's tracking of long rebounds. Uh and he also mentions Eric Stevenson's release speed on his jumper, where it's clearly a plus trait, but because they're the only ones different from normal, it's not clear what it's worth.
1: Um, I think it's important to just value them holistically with the entire package. Like I'm not going to move up Nate Hinton like X amount of spots because he's great at long rebounding, but like, that's a consideration I'll look at when I'm looking at the entire package of Nate Hinton. Or like we said, like someone like Miles McBride's transition defense, like I'm not necessarily going to move him up spots because of this transition defense, but it's a but it's something to consider. I think with these kind of skills that I would say like, aren't, the traditional like outlier skills you look for like not outlier pull-up shooting or ball handling or like passing manipulation or rim protection that i just it's hard I, this is an interesting question because they're just not something that i think is are worth like a ton of emphasis but obviously like it's case by case and it, it, it matters differently for different prospects, which is kind of a non-answer, but I'm not really sure where else to go with this. What
0: do you think? That was the same non-answer I put in my notes. Um, Like for the Hinton example specifically, uh, I'd say that like taken holistically, it could allow Nate Hinton to say play up uh, to play. Like he basically is like a guard sized four, but with skills like his tracking of long rebounds, like maybe there is some, more legitimacy to the idea that yeah. he could actually play minutes at the four despite being like six, four, six, five. Um, so I think that, you know, how it plays into your overall skill set's important. Like, I don't know. I didn't watch prospect James Harden, but like the James Harden double step back is a bizarre skill that if you just saw it, like, and you didn't know anything about James Harden, you might not think it's that valuable, but then taken in the context of James Harden's game, like it's totally transformed who he is and how potent a a scorer he is um so i think that weird skills are important it's just like like you said because miles mcbride is like one of the greatest transition defensive players that that we've seen like that doesn't mean that miles mcbride is a top 10 pick um now if that factors into to the overall evaluation in some way you account for it like i think it i think it does a bit for hinton um but it's, there's no reason to force it because a guy is unique. Like sometimes uniqueness is a pathway to um, underappreciated upside, but there's no inherent value to uniqueness.
1: Yeah. All right. I think that's the same answer. So second to last question here we have um, from at underscore James Kohout underscore. Um, and we've kind of touched on this a couple times since this episode. Who are some guys you that you don't think – We'll get drafted slash declare. But if you were a GM, you'd give a late second round promise to, and we're amending that to late first or early second as well. So I'm sure we've talked quite a, about quite a few of these guys. So Max, what are you thinking?
0: Yeah, so I, I think we should amend it entirely to late first, early second, because like late second promises aren't really a thing. Um, yeah. I guess I, I'll mention one, one guy with late second uh, at the end. But yeah, guys that we've mentioned already, DJ Carton and Romeo Weems, I would promise them late first, get them to come out. I would add Tyrell Terry to that group. Uh, And then one that we haven't mentioned that we've talked about on previous episodes is Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Um, Doesn't have buzz in the mainstream, but like a top 20 guy, I think for me Uh, just love, love him as a a linking player, a really smart decision maker, a guy who keeps the ball moving. And I, as we mentioned in, in the, the leaving bigs open to shoot, I really, really buy him as a shooter. Um, So yeah, Robinson Earl is someone I'd promise definitely late first, early second again to come out. Uh, And then if, in this hypothetical, a guy is actually willing to come out for a late second round promise, I'll throw um, Tennessee forward Eve Pond out there. Uh, Just a total athletic freak with a ridiculous frame. Um, Like basically a 4-5 in terms of, of skill, but... He's so freakish as a vertical leaper, so freakish as a mover, Um, and with his just, like, you gotta look up pictures of Yves Pond if you don't know who he is. It's absurd. Um, Very very much from the Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield mold uh, of just enormous human being. Uh, and yeah, he's someone that that I like a lot. I mentioned this on Twitter as like a value alternative to Precious Achua if Precious is going in the lottery. Like Eve Pawn as a late second rounder in this scenario is incredible value because I think they're like, like fairly comparable as prospects. Um, and, you know, Pawn is going to cost you way, way less. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Agreed. Um, one, a late first I had was Keontae Johnson, who I've talked about before on this podcast. Um, I like him as like a top 20 guy, just this incredible athlete on the wing, vertically burst wise strength has improved his, his ball handling and passing and shooting skill as the seasons have gone on. Um, just a really strong versatile wing prospect. we've talked more about. Um, another guy who I've talking about, I'm not sure if this is worth the first I promise, but, um, Anton Watson for Gonzaga, um, He's really good. Didn't really get a chance to play this year. Had injury problems. Um, Just a super smart, like six foot seven, eight wing forward type. Great, really can pass. Really smart defender. A guy who also, like with a pretty loaded, good Zach team, I'm not sure how much he plays next year. I mean, he's going to play more than he played this year with. Um, Tilly and likely Kispert being gone and Petrusev
0: maybe too, but yeah, he was injured all year. Yeah, also,
1: yeah, yeah, he, he had injury. Yeah, I mentioned that he had injury. Every, every
0: time he came back, he would get hurt again. Yeah,
1: hopefully he's not going to be Tilly 2.0 with that. Um, because Watson's awesome. So I uh, hoping hoping he can stay healthy. Uh, another guy I'll throw in like the the late the hypothetical late second promise territory is uh, Terrence Shannon, Texas Tech freshman. Um, who I like better than Jamias Ramsey, which I know is a hot take by many. Um, or I don't know, like even better. They're very close, very comparable prospects in terms of value to me. Uh, Shannon, this six foot six, super athletic wing, um, has shown real flashes of passing and creation and team defense. Um, he's a super reluctant shooter, but. His free throws are good, and he was a more willing shooter pre-college. So this is like a developmental bet, a guy I really, really like quite a bit, and a guy who I'd be stoked to get in the late second if for some reason um, I could promise him. <laughs> and another guy that like, like like late second promise type is uh, Matthew Hurt at Duke. Uh, Matthew Hurt, um, he was a guy who a lot, a lot of people, myself included, had as a lotto kind of guy coming out disappointed generally with his physicality but still like a really high level shooter at six foot eight pretty smart team defender would love to get him late second if i could
0: yeah i like hurt too um like ben mentioned good good really good team defender a really really good shooter with a lot of with a lot of height um like maybe a minus wingspan or like a neutral wingspan neutral about but But he's a really good mover um just so skinny is the issue yeah like his frame is awful uh it always has been and it's definitely something i underrated coming into the year uh but i think still an interesting prospect for sure uh i'd honestly even consider him like if you get him into an nba strength and conditioning program he has real skills to the point where honestly like i maybe even a a, like an early to mid second if that's something that he'd come out for he can get guaranteed money I'd, i'd consider that too
1: yeah, I think so. I mean, especially, like, going back and watching, like, what he did in – he played Adidas uh, with his shoe circuit, like, with his team. He was, like m- – like, he showed much more creation ability than he showed than he was allowed yeah. to show at Duke. Like, he can he can legitimately handle the ball at a size. And, like, mm-hmm. even in FIBA too, I think it was, like, a 18 He played with Cole Anthony and Tyrus Maxey. He showed some ability to handle and pass in the open floor. And, yeah, he's just really skilled. So, yeah, so if you're an NBA team that believes – and your ability to improve his frame, then there's no reason you shouldn't be a guy you look to promise um, in like yeah. the second round or, um, su- anywhere in the second round, really.
0: Yeah, without getting too much into the weeds on Hurt, uh, one thing that was concerning at lower levels was that a lot of his success definitely as like a self-creation guy was just being bigger than people, and that's a bit of a problem when you're only 6'9", and you're as weak um, as he is. Uh, just like how those abilities interplay is something that i think people who are high on him like myself should have thought about more um our final our final question is from at carter young 340 uh who are some one skill prospects whose one skill may be good enough to succeed in the nba his example is duncan robinson um well i wanted to make this point with generally like those don't really exist like one
1: skill prospects like true one skill prospects are almost never like good enough to make an NBA. Like you look at a guy like Fletcher McGee, who was like the greatest shooter in college basketball for four years. And like, is very much not an NBA player because of all his limitations. The guy who, like the first guy, I guess, like I said, the example he gives is Duncan Robinson. So the first guy I thought of there was Aaron Neesmith who matches him. I don't know if he's truly one skill because it's hard. Because I mean, he He's not very good at anything but shooting. But he's not like totally a non-like dribbler passer. But it's like it, it's hard to find someone who's like truly one skill. I mean, you can think of a I, guy like I know some people will cite Emmanuel quickly. I'm not a fan. I had
0: quickly as one of my guys. Yeah. I, I had a whole category of guys who are, I, they're one skill with shooters, and then I have one guy who is not a shooter. But finish finish your list first.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say quickly is um the guy who like um is like I'm not a big fan of, but he is undoubtedly a very good shooter, no doubt. But just like six foot three, good six foot three like guard shooters who don't really dribble and can't create and are fine defensively, but are six foot three. Like I said, um are just not great, and then. Um. What was I gonna say? Um. I was gonna say this is kind of like cheating, but it's not like really a skill. But I, I went like Scotty Lewis athlete.
0: <laughs> like,
1: like it's not a skill technically. So I'm no. Making, I think that's fair. Yeah.
0: For Scotty Lewis, even yeah. just saying, well, I think athlete because he it when he is technically sound, is such a special horizontal right. mover, but he's also, like, a ridiculously special vertical athlete. Yeah. Uh, I think – I'll give you that one. I think that one's Yeah, good. I
1: mean, I think it, like, kind of counts because he's just, like, very not good at anything else. I mean, his yeah. shooting projection is, like, okay,
0: but, like, he can't Yeah, so I mean, he's not, he's not a total – like, he's a yeah. good free throw shooter. Yeah. Like, his mechanics, I think, are not that yeah. bad. Like, I, no, I, yeah. I don't think he's a total one-skill guy, but that's not yeah. a bad – actually because yeah, like,
1: like I said, there's no, like, true total one-skill guys. I think Scotty's close because he's just, like – Total, total freak athlete, um, with just this, just so debilitating in terms of his dribbling and passing and his, like, and some of his defensive stuff. Um, I thought like Isaiah Livers as another, like, one skill shooter. Um, I feel like he's,
0: he's, I think he's more versatile. I don't,
1: I don't know. I'm I mean, at least this year, I haven't, like, I haven't watched a ton of Michigan this year, but he hasn't looked very versatile in this year to me. Um, yeah, I mean, him. I didn't. Who else did you have? Because I didn't have many.
0: Okay, my shooter category is quickly. Um, I think the glaring one you missed is Jordan Wara. Oh, um, man. Spencer Jones. I think he's the least fair inclusion in the yeah. Justice. I think category.
1: he has a little more because uh, yeah. I, I think he can
0: pass too. So, yeah, he can pass enough. Like, he's
1: a fairly good team like, defender. Same with Jessup. Like, I thought about Jessup, but
0: Jessup can pass. Yeah, but Jessup, Jessup's got other skills, so that, that's why Spencer Jones, I think, like. Is actually a very good prospect, whereas quickly and Nora, I don't like um, at all. Uh, the other shoot, like strict shooter guy I have is Landers Nolly, um, who is I guess like vaguely a prospect. And I, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I didn't consider him because he's not really on my. Yeah, record. I mean, not not this year. Uh, and then the guy that I'm I'm it's going to be surprising coming from me. I don't even think in my top 100, but not a shooter, and I think like pretty genuinely. A one skill guy, yeah, like per- well outside my top hundred. Um it's Daniel Oturu, uh center at Michigan because oh, not Michigan at Minnesota, because I think his one skill is rebounding, like he is a strict <laughs> rebounding specialist, and he's gonna get drafted. Daniel O'Turu is going to get drafted oh and like God, yes. could conceivably be an NBA player. I have zero interest in him. Um, but he's gonna get drafted like very possibly in the first round. Um, and I think that he is truly a one-skill prospect. I think his only skill is rebounding. Yeah, it's a, I mean, he can't shoot. He can't dribble. He
1: can't pass. He's not a particularly good defender. Um, Yeah, uh, checks out. <laughs> That's a good one. I go yeah, I
0: was, I was pretty proud of that one because I'm, like I said, not a Daniel Oturu guy, not not like someone I draft at all, but he will get drafted, like, seriously maybe in the first round. Um, and I think it's That's pretty insane. close to a
1: true one-skill prospect. That's the fact that he's been going to go in the first round is kind of wild. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's... All right. All right. I think that's uh, all we've got in terms of questions. Thank you to everyone who submitted questions. This was really fun. I enjoyed this a lot.
0: Yeah. And uh, it, it was a lot of fun. We'll definitely do it again. And honestly, we, since we didn't, we got a ton of questions. We didn't answer all of them. I'll, after this comes out, I'll probably on my account, um, do it like if you submitted a question and it wasn't answered and you would really like an answer I, I'll happily answer it but yeah in order to and prevent it, well, so if, yeah it's just yeah. in order to prevent this from being a three-hour episode we yeah. had to pick and choose questions um, Yeah, like, yeah there were really fun questions I yeah. had a like this was a ton of fun to, to prep for
1: yeah and like Max said we'll definitely do more of these uh, in the future so be on the lookout for those and please submit questions again was awesome. It was a great time. So I think we're ready to move into our catching eye section. Mm-hmm. Just guys we've been watching lately. Um you have three guys. I have one, so I was thinking I'd do my one first. Yeah. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. So my one is Davion Mitchell Baylor guard, who is my favorite Baylor prospect. Um which is I know most people would have Jared Butler as that guy. But just Davion Mitchell is just a ridiculous space creator and like I briefly mentioned him at the beginning of this pod I'm talking about guys who can create space off the dribble in this class like there's so few of them and Davion Mitchell is one of the guys I mean he's just got a violent handle in terms of Creating space off the dribble for pull-ups, getting to the basket um, with change of direction moves, getting by guys, and like he can like legitimately pass too. I mean, his decision making isn't wonderful, and he throws a lot of passes that he shouldn't. But like he's he's got some really talented passes. I mean, he's like he's hits like live dribble skips to the corner. Um, he can hit some interior passes too. And I mean, the issues with him are just he's six foot three, and the shooting projection is really murky with him. But again, like he's also like a very high-level on-ball defender. Like I said, being six foot three is problematic there. Um, and then, not a guy who I have in my top sixty at the moment. But like, it's one of my favorite prospects to watch for sure. And just like a guy with his level of space creation and his and like the passing flashes that he shows, I think it is like very much more worth a gamble than someone like Jared Butler, who I see is like a score-first kind of backup point guardy type. I, I know a lot, like him quite a bit more, but. Yeah, Davion Mitchell, not a, necessarily a guy who's a draft and probably a guy who stays in college. I think he's a sophomore, I believe. Um, I think he's a sophomore in college yeah. at this point. Yeah, he is. Um,
0: so I think he is. Yeah, sophomore.
1: Yeah, yeah. Transferred from, I think, like, was he Auburn. an Auburn guy? Yeah, he's an Auburn guy. Uh, but yeah, Davion is super fun. Would recommend watching him if you have. I'm, I'm sure you have because everyone's watched Baylor because Baylor is fun. But yeah, Davion's quite good, so
0: yeah i mean you talk about guys who pop and davion mitchell is just like he really pops because of the space creation stuff like his change of direction and acceleration are violent like he he's gonna do one of those 2k animations to someone where he like legitimately injures them um <laughs> yeah I, I i don't have him ranked this year i think long term i might agree with the idea that he's baylor's best prospect i really like him um he should go back to school uh, and hopefully see a larger role. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, I think a, like, Do you think Butler goes? I mean, maybe? I feel like his stock never really took off in the yeah. mainstream, but I think there's a pretty good chance. Yeah, I, know, I mean, there's I quite would... a few people on Twitter that like him at least. Yeah, there's people that are really into Butler. I, I don't like him either, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's a guy who's not back. Yeah, and if he's not,
1: then um, Mitchell becomes the guy yeah. um, with the ball in his hands on that team, which would be very exciting because Baylor's good this year, and they'll probably be good again next year because they're going to be returning like almost all of their good players. So,
0: yeah. Uh, okay, my guys, the first one is unconventional because I've recently been binging a lot of old Jason Tatum stuff. Uh, stay tuned. At some point, there will be something long uh, on Celtics blog, probably for me on – Jason Tatum as a prospect, but I was – so I was watching FIBA, I was watching AAU, and I was watching high school. And the AAU games I watched were the Peach Jam semifinal and final from – I think it's 2015. And so Tatum's uh, St. Louis Eagles team played against some stacked teams. Uh, And the second game, the final, was against the Georgia Stars – who had a front court of Wendell Carter Jr. and and um Udoka Azabuki <laughs> in the same front court. And like starting alongside them were Jared Harper, Brandon Robinson, and Trent Forrest, like absurdly stacked team. Uh, but Wendell Carter Jr., my God, he was a dominant rim protector as a and this is him playing up here. So this is Wendell Carter Jr., I think is a 16-year-old. Um he was a dominant, dominant rim protector, really mobile, um, great verticality, very strong, very, very uh, good recognition. And I think it's just another testament to how useful the AAU sample is because I think Wendell really shined as a rim protector when Marvin Bagley went down for a bit at Duke and you saw how dominant he could be, but it was a little less obvious uh, playing with, with Bagley in that zone. Um, but I think when you consider the context of AAU, the projection of Wendell Carter as a really, really dominant interior defender might have been more clear. And that seems to have manifested in the NBA. He seems to be a really dominant interior defender. So it's just yet another case for AAU does matter. Um, And, I mean, that's particularly relevant in this class with Cole Anthony, with Tyrese Maxey. It's just – it's a data point worth considering because it's another another valuable context. Um, And then my two other guys are – probably not going to come out this year but they're both at tennessee eve pond who we talked about earlier i don't have really much to add just insane insane athlete in every sense of the word uh ridiculous vertically and can like really get up easily like he is a two-foot guy but he gets up easily and in like any context really uh absurd frame pretty ridiculous laterally like he had a lot of possessions where he was moving with Kyra Lewis and they're in one of their games against Alabama it was really really impressive um and he just plays like a Scotty Lewis type uh like reckless disregard for his own life like he <laughs> looks like he's gonna get himself and or someone else killed when he plays and it's entertaining um yeah I think he's probably a long shot to stick in the NBA but he does have some physical attributes that are totally unmatched. Um, and he's not like, I mean, I compared him earlier to Precious Achua and he's like, I think a few months older than Precious, despite being a junior and uh, probably like farther along as a shooter. Um, not probably. I think he is farther along. As Definitely a shooter. not. I mean, he's I'm, like a,
1: a better free throw shooter by like almost 10 points. Um he's like, takes does He take more, I don't know. Uh, um, takes, he take, takes the, shots.
0: He's at a respectable clip this year. Like he'll never be a guy that you're worried about leaving open, but he could be a guy that hits corner threes. Yeah,
1: he yeah, he, he hit 33s this year. Uh, 35 percent, so like acceptable. Um, and 64 percent from the line, which is like nothing incredible. Um, yeah. not great or anything, but he hit a lot of long twos, which is
0: yeah. Crazy. I mean, and he is essentially a six six big man uh and like the uh, like going along with the precious comp like the la- the disparity in height and standing reach definitely matters but we're talking about a guy in precious who seems like is going to go in the lottery and eve is a guy that you won't even have to draft um that's really compelling to me if that's the archetype you're looking for of like the undersized insane person freak athlete uh center um, so I like Eve. I think he's a real prospect. I uh, really enjoy him. I kind of actually selfishly want him to go back to school because that oh team God. next year with Eve and then in the backcourt, Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson. I mean, it's just going to be the most absurdly athletic college team. There's the strongest, like freakiest, incredible college team. Um, it would be so fun to watch. Uh, So I'm, I'm fine with it either way. I like Eve if he – you know, comes out because a team wants to actually let him play uh, in the NBA or in the G League, even better. Um, I would welcome that. But Eve returning to school for his senior year would be a ton of fun, also.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, don't know much more to add on on Pawns. I mean, just so much fun. Like you said, like in like in terms of value, could be like an interesting like late second round promise guy. If if that's even a thing, I mean, probably not. But I mean, like if you were to come out and you can get him in the late second uh, versus like you said, precious in the lottery. And that's, that's a crazy value. Yeah. Pawns is fun.
0: Yeah. And then my other guy at Tennessee is John Fulkerson, uh, who's like this six, nine white guy, um, really impressive mover and just like very, very smart defender. Uh, unfortunately six, nine and can't shoot at all. Like doesn't shoot. Um, he, uh, he's senior age, but had a redshirt year. So he'll be back next year. Not going to be an NBA guy, I think pretty firmly, but I, he seems like he's headed to toward being a really, really good European player. Um, I, it's, I'm just like, actually like legitimately excited to watch him play in Europe. Uh, cause he's really good. He's fun. And like I said, I mean, he'll be back next year and this Tennessee team is just going to be an absolute juggernaut.
1: Yeah, I'll say Fulkerson has shot a whopping two threes in his in, in his uh, college career, and both came this season. Yeah, I mean he's like a respectable free throw shooter, and he shoots long twos. But yeah, I mean until he takes threes, it's it's a not a great projection. But yeah, super fun, like really smart defender. Like gets to the free throw line a ton. He's had like he, his career free throw rate is like sixty or something, which is kind of crazy for a guy of his athletic tools. But I mean he's he's super fun. Him and Pons makes like a really good duo too because. Like Fulkerson can pass, and he's really smart too. And um, defensively, like that's like the most fun undersized front court that you'll come across. So yeah, yeah.
0: they're really, really good. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that team, next year. Next year, that team next year defensively is like it's going to be miserable uh, to play like, them.
1: Like uh, imagine trying to, to get by, like like you finally get by Jaden Springer at the point of attack, and you don't. You
0: that's the thing that you don't get by Jaden Springer at the no, point of attack.
1: Let's say you do, and you, you have Eve Pons and John Fulkerson meeting with the back line. That's just insane. So yeah, I mean. Yeah, that's gonna be I mean joy of a team to watch oh my god
0: yeah eve has the most just soul crushing blocks like he he puts up the best highlights in college yeah. as well they're insane yeah. i think it was in the kentucky game um where like i
1: think he had like six or seven blocks maybe five mm-hmm. or six, i don't know and like it, it was just every time kentucky shot in his vicinity it, like the ball went the other way i mean
0: yeah and they're, they're that's the I, thing they're not like he doesn't barely get get these shots like he obliterates them
1: yeah no, like the balls that Eve Ponds blocks are going into the
0: third row. Like yeah. he, he's blocking souvenirs. So. Yeah, he, he's he's so fun. Um, awesome. All right. Uh, I think are we are we ready, ready to wrap up here?
1: Yeah, I think that's all we've got for you guys today. Make sure you follow the pod on Twitter at prep number two pro pod. Um, we are on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Ditcher. Make sure to rate. Uh, subscribe, leave nice reviews. You can follow me on Twitter at Ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore. Follow Max at Max A Carlin, and I think that's all we've got for you. So have
0: a well. Before before we oh, go, let's um, like we mentioned, we'll we'll both do the answering any like residual questions yeah. that anyone has, uh, and then also we both put top one hundred updates on Twitter. Uh, should we we could try to link those in the show description. Uh, yeah. We can do that. We should be able to do that. Um, so, if you want to take a look at those, if you haven't seen them yeah. already, just to get an idea of where we are on certain guys, uh, we both are very, very high on Tyrese Maxey and have him in our first tier, and got a lot of questions about that. So, we're already planning to do an episode where we, you know, discuss why we Max. like Tyrese Maxey so much for you know an hour. um So th- that's that's the plan. I mean, if there are any other big questions with those, we could certainly address them. Um, yeah, and then at least for me, at some point, like I said, Jason Tatum scouting, uh, that probably won't be up. I think by our next episode, just because I am, I'm going through a lot of of um Jason Tatum stuff, but uh, yeah. that's on the horizon somewhere. Yeah.
1: quite excited for that. And if we are plugging, I'll plug. I'm gonna have at some point um a video on Leandro Balmoro, so that'll be fun. Um, yeah, with be- that.
0: With that in mind, we need to do a Balmaro episode. Yes, where we we'll, we'll we'll get a I don't know we'll find a skeptic to argue we against us. A,
1: a Bomaro and Max is skeptic. I think we could find the same person. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, yeah, um, yeah, that's about it. That's what's coming from us on the horizon. Again, if you have any questions, Alec, like any time you can always hit Max and I up on Twitter. We're we're, we're always on Twitter, um, or just like, or, or the pod account, whatever works. So, yeah, I, I think now we're actually good to wrap up. Mm-hmm. So that's all we got for you guys today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, Keep listening and have a nice day.